Imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women. Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Leadership Global. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Lois Sonstegard about the power of collaboration. You know, true collaboration is about moving to a relationship that involves co-creation. It's about shared risks and responsibilities, interdependency and organizational transformation. True collaboration is about identifying shared value and leveraging the combined strengths of each partner to achieve a level of impact that simply couldn't be accomplished independently. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Lois Sonstegard, CEO of Build Tomorrow, about how to collaborate by building a diverse group of partners and leaders. We're going to explore the proven strategies to move your company forward, designed specifically for success during times of economic and market disruption. Today, you'll learn how to build collaborative ecosystems building bulletproof resilience that will allow you to thrive and grow in any economic environment. Today, you can step into the power of collaboration, creating a solid foundation for families, businesses, communities, and the world. Collaboration that's founded on trust and respect, foster an explosion of creativity and a multiplier effect that can transform your life. Now, before we dive right in, let me tell you just a little bit about Dr. Lois Sonstegard. She's the CEO of Build Tomorrow. She's an author, a speaker, and a global expert on collaboration. Lois has worked with business leaders for over 30 years, developing international collaboration partnerships in the biotechnology area, and she's managed global teams, she's built high-performing teams, and she's launched products globally. In fact, Lois has taken a manufacturing company global, working in 22 countries while managing and developing intellectual property. Today, Lois is particularly passionate about building collaborative relationships that enable companies to leverage their resources and maximize their market reach and profit goals through structured collaborative relationships. Because Lois is pragmatic, she uses processes that are proven, easily understood, implementable, and produce sustainable results. Now, this is fascinating. Lois is heavily influenced in her approach by her early education and development in Japan. The Japanese culture is a culture of respect in which individual and group dignity is honored. It is also a country that's learned how to lead the world in auto and electronics industries by adopting principles of quality and collaboration. I cannot wait to dig in. Welcome, Lois. Linda, thank you so much. What an opportunity to be with you today. I've had so much fun, really, getting to know you a little bit as we've worked on our anthology together. 
and learning what it is that you do, because you brings always such a positive energy and a perspective that honors people. And so I just appreciate that about you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much, Lois. What gracious, generous words of support and encouragement. Thank you. Now, I'm so excited to dive in and introduce you to our amazing audience globally. And first, Lois, just to allow everyone to understand and get to know you a little bit better. Tell us, what led you to have such passion around this idea of collaboration? You know, I think for me, Linda, collaboration has always been a part of my life. I I grew up in Japan, and uh, Japan is much more of a community type of society. It's a collaborative society in many ways. It's a collective. They do things together. And they have a respect, a deep respect for people's contributions. And so as I was looking at the COVID situation, we're all sitting at home, right? Wondering what next? What's our life going to be like next, right? And we're watching the television reports and going, oh no, oh no. Can we get through that kind of? But during that time, one of the things that I did was I started calling CEOs, CFOs of various sized companies, M&A people, consultants to boards of directors. And I said, who's going to survive COVID? Because it was looking pretty, pretty glim, glum, right? It was like, what was, what really was going to happen? And here was, is what's interesting. They said, COVID, yes, that's a problem, but the real problem will be the economic uh, fallout in the aftermath. And I really didn't think about that so much. I thought, well, you know, we'll just recover, right? Well, we're experiencing that right now, that aftermath. And so here, I I wanna share with you a little bit about what they said, because I think we're feeling that as an underpinning of many things that are going on. So basically what they said was the very large companies, the 500 million plus, they're gonna do just fine. Why? They have access to cash and resources that others don't have. They'll just continue to move on. The companies that are a million or less, the same percentage are gonna survive. The difference is they'll run a little bit faster, but soon they won't even notice that they're running faster because they're used to that right? We've all been there. The question is, what will happen to the $2 million to the $500 million company? And that they were worried about. Because that's a group of people for whom capital will be less available. Their resources will have been stretched, and they won't have the elasticity anymore to move. And so then I went back and I asked further, who, you know, what will make a difference? And it was the M&A people that were the most helpful. Basically, what they said was that it's the people who learn how to collaborate. They're going to survive. So I started doing research on collaboration. What makes people collaborate and how does it work? Are there examples of collaboration? Also, I was looking, thinking back on my younger years in Japan, And you look at how industry was developed and built up in post-war Japan and how Japan became a dominant force in the electronics and in the auto business. 
And it was based there on the Ministry of Trade putting forth a whole stream, a network that would allow for people to work together. And with that then came access to capital, came access to resources, et cetera. So we all know the outcome. Japan had became an incredible force, right? And their quality in, in terms of what they produced was great. So we have models. And then in my earlier career, I worked with some people who probably had no knowledge that they were really collaborators, and they but they collaborated in different ways. And they taught me some very basic principles that I continue to use. They were great. So that's really what got me started in it. I love that, Lois. Thank you so much. And I know that you are particularly passionate about building collaborative relationships that enable companies to leverage their resources and really maximize their market reach, their profit goals through structured collaborative relationships. So what would you recommend for a company in terms of providing a pragmatic process that's proven, easily understood, implementable to provide sustainable results in developing a true collaborative relationship? Okay, so let's break that into two parts. One is if you're a company let's, that has a number of employees and you want to create collaboration within your company, that's one way of looking at it. Then there's also how do we collaborate across companies so we can leverage one another, right? So I just want to talk about some basic concepts that go with collaboration because they work in both places. And one is... You need to have a depth, a, a depth of opinions, so a cross-section of opinions. So when we tend to work within organizations, we tend to have like the leaders form the goals and objectives. That trickles down. It gets communicated. The managers then implement it to the next level, and it goes down, down. But there isn't a say necessarily from the down up to the top when these ideas are being formulated. And now we're seeing within companies, the Gen Z, the research from Gallup just recently is 82% of them are silent quitters because it's like, you know what? You don't ask us our opinion. You don't seem to care. We're going to just collect our paycheck, do what little we need to do, and then we're going to be happy. And it doesn't work well. It doesn't bode well for a company. So one of the people who opened my mind to this process was uh, Francis Galton. And he was a statistician. He did research in 1906 in London. And I, I love the fact that what he, he did his research with livestock. I mean, I don't think of that as the place you go to make, you know, draw conclusions about human behavior, but that's what he did. And so he was watching a livestock fair in London, and the people were asked to judge the dressed weight of an ox. So that's the ox that with its head off, the hoofs off, the hide off, what's it going to weigh? And when it was concluded and the people had been awarded that had won, he then went to the judge and he said, may I have all of the 
guesses that people put forward, the papers on which they wrote their guesses. And so then he lined them up according to their level of expertise. So here were the judges, here were the veterinarians and the experts, here were the people who took care of the, uh, you know, the animals. Here were the people who were the, just the hands. They muck the stalls, they clean things up, right? And then it was the people who meandered around the Joe Blows who just had, you know, no care in the world, it seemed. They were just there watching. Well, what's interesting is when he sat down, took a look at that, there was nobody in any of the groups that was close to the dressed weight. But when he took the entire group and took the mean of everybody, they were one pound from the dressed weight. Isn't that amazing? And so what he concluded was, if you really want to get to the truth of something or to get to the heart of what's going on, you have to get the perspectives of everyone. So think of that in terms of little things like, what is it that goes on in our politics? We have you know, various groups talking about their viewpoint, but it's not a representation of a broad group. We do the same in our businesses. And so other people have looked at that research. And interestingly, it's been substantiated over the years. And one of the pieces that I love was done by um, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Okay. And you, you could you could have um, various lifelines. There was three lifelines that you could have, right? And if you guessed answered 15 questions correctly, you walked away with a million dollars. Sounds great. So to make it easier for people, the first thing you could do was to ask the, the judge to whittle down the options to two. So now you had a 50-50 chance of being right. Or you could call one of your pre-identified experts and give them a call and ask them what they thought, right? Or you could ask the audience. So who do you think gave the best advice? I would guess the audience, because you have the largest pool of people to draw from within the audience. Exactly. When you called the expert, they found that the person was about 65% of the time correct. When they asked the audience, 91%. But that's people you don't know. You don't know what their backgrounds are. You don't know their expertise, but it's breath. Wow, isn't that amazing? And that really does showcase the genius of the crowd, right? So crowdsourcing, it's, it's this idea that all of us together are stronger than any of us individually. And, you know, that reminds me of, you know, the best partnerships, best collaborations are based in equity. They're based in respect. They acknowledge the value that each person in the collaboration or partnership brings to the partnership. The power of partnership, the power of real collaboration is built on harnessing each person's key strengths and expertise and being open and willing to, again, assimilate a diverse group of perspectives and viewpoints and worldviews to the final solution. That is so true. Yeah. And it's that openness, as you said, to that diverse opinion. So the second thing that he found that Galton found was you had to have people who were able to express their opinions independently. 
So it didn't work if they were in an environment where they were afraid to speak. Think of that in terms of what we've created today in the workplace with our PC culture. People are afraid. They feel like they're walking on eggshells, right? Because the rules of yesterday don't apply to today. Today won't apply to tomorrow. So how do you adjust and how do you adapt? You just get quiet. And that's so important when you're building a trust-based relationship, when you're building true collaboration, to be able to feel as though you can be transparent, openly sharing information, maintaining clear lines of communication, and having honest discussions around even the most difficult issues. That's absolutely key to being able to develop a very trust-based, open, and healthy collaboration. And you know, I get calls periodically from people saying, we just can't hire right now. People don't want to come. If we hire them, the company down the street offers them $5 more and then they go there. And it's like this revolving door. And what do we do? Well, I think collaboration is part of your answer because what, I mean, you know, this from being a psychologist is people are hungry for connection, right? I mean, is, are you seeing that in your work as well? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like there's such incredible relationships being able to be built uh, beyond borders through leadership global is that women are hungry for real, deep, meaningful and transformational relationship. They're interested in going beyond surface level uh, checking calls. They really want that sort of sense of trust and familiarity that are built over time through a thousand small acts every day and through being able to build on a trust-based relationship. You're able to scale trust. You're able to go deep. You're able to offer real support and resources and tools. And that is why I think leadership communities like Leadership Global are so popular. I think we're, we're, we're desperate for anything that allows us to be a part of something and where we feel like we can actually make a contribution. That's the other part is people are getting tired of working and not seeing whether or not it makes a difference. Does it really matter to you that I've missed all of my children's games at school, for example? And I, I, I did that to help you build a business. And but I don't see that re in return. And so it's that, and I think companies care. I mean, I really do, because they know that um, they need employees, but it's that really getting it so people understand it's that connection so that they go, wow, this makes me feel like I'm a part of something. I've, I'm valued. I want to give back. I love that, Lois. That's so beautiful. And so you're really talking about collaborations that emphasize transformation over transaction, especially to achieve the kind of scale and depth of impact to create real substantial change, uh, you need to find those areas of collaboration, those areas of partnership that align the interests and objectives for the partnership, but acknowledge individual benefit and individual contribution, right? And so it's about ensuring that you're able to emphasize real connection, real meaningful transformation and sustainable sort of problem solving and sustainable action-oriented solutions 
that are greater than just a simple transaction. Right. I, th I think the other thing, Linda, that collaboration does is it allows you to, um, to really build on each other. So it's like, okay, I have enough confidence in who I am that I have no problem helping you grow as well. We're going to grow each other, so to speak. And that, that's a different mindset. That's a shift because in our society in particular, in, in the Western culture, we're very competitive. I mean, I'm a competitive family. My children are competitive. We, we laugh about it because we can turn monopoly into a very competitive thing. <laughs> and yet that's okay. Learning how to compete is important, but we also need to learn how to be okay with seeing others grow because in collaboration it's not only I'm going to grow we're going to grow together and so I think for mid-sized businesses Linda and small businesses how they're going to compete against the very large businesses going down the road is through collaborative I call them ecosystems partnerships where you come together and you literally are building up each other because now you're enough of a force that you can be a meaningful presence in the marketplace. And the dominant players are so dominant and they only become more dominant each day, it seems. So I, you, you have to look at how do I make myself bigger than life? And this is one way you can do it. That's right. And you know, you talked about something there, Lois, that I think is so important. And it's this idea of being genuinely committed to others to come to the collaboration or partnership with good faith, to keep a focus on creating a partnership with a shared vision and a shared definition of success where you are committed to the success of the people or the departments or the divisions or the companies that you're collaborating with. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is, as you suggested, such an, an important intention to ensure that you stay focused on through the life of that collaboration as well. It's so true. And it is something that is not innate in our culture to, to be comfortable with um, growing one another. We're good at jealousy. We're good at, right? And, and women particularly are good at jealousy. Well, you know, kind of she's good. Kind of I like to work with her, right? But the next phase, we're going to have to get really comfortable with, wow, you're good at that. And that is a strength I don't have as much of. I would love that. So you will enjoy this. When I was doing my certification for Gallup, I took my results and I said, no, I don't think so. So I called Gallup and asked to speak to their research department. And they were lovely. They talked with me and I said, I think your research is spurious, actually. And can you imagine doing that? And, and so they were lovely. They walked me through, you know, how I was responding. And there were two things I didn't like about my results. And after we talked for some time, the director of research said to me, so what about yourself did you not like? Because he figured out it was had nothing to do with the research. It had to do with my not liking my results. And it was two things. One was I have intellection as a strength. 
And intellection is the ability to problem solve on multiple levels all the time. And your brain doesn't shut off until you solve it. So I felt like it was a curse because I would see a problem and my brain would keep working. Everybody else was done with it, but my brain is still solving it because it was not solved. You guys, you did not solve this problem. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to be released from that. And I thought that if I just changed my strength, I would be released. Well, what I learned was it's a phenomenal strength. And actually it's what's allowed me to build a lot in my business. The other one was I wanted to have woo. Woo is that ability to, you know, go into any party, meet and greet everybody, get to know everybody, maybe surface level, but you got to know everybody. And I was in sales at that time with my company doing a lot of sales. And I thought if I just have more woo, it'll be easier. <laughs> so it's funny how we look at our own weaknesses and we become jealous of other people rather than looking at it and saying, wow. Right. I don't have that as well, but you do this so well. And together we become, a, we form a bond that is unbreakable. And isn't that fabulous? Yeah. And I will tell you that, Lois, I see what you just described as phenomenal strengths, right? Intellectualization. That is a phenomenal strength. And like you, I know a lot of people that on Gallup poll uh, score incredibly highly on Wu. And I love their um, the fact that they're uh, charismatic and magnetic and they're gregarious. None of those things would ever be ascribed to me. But I love the fact that, you know, I have friends that have huge personalities and they're just, they are the quintessential woo. Um, but I, going back to this idea of collaboration in more of a corporate setting as well, you know, thinking about how to discover perhaps the proven strategies that are designed specifically for success in collaboration, especially in times of economic or market disruption, much of what we're experiencing now, as you noted earlier in the podcast, what is it that you would recommend to a company who's trying to create a strategy around the idea of collaboration and partnership and innovation, specifically designed to accelerate the success of that company, even in market disruption or times of economic volatility? Right. Great question, Linda. And it takes me back to research that was done by Deloitte in 2008. And this has now been replicated in, in more recent years, um, as late as about three years ago. So um, by other people other than Deloitte. But what they found was interesting. They were asked by Google to go to Australia and to study collaboration in businesses there. And what they found was the quality of work increased by 73% when people within the businesses collaborated. Innovation went up by 34%. Productivity went up. Your market share, it was 2x, profit 4x. You know, so that, and this is just in an individual company, not, not groups of companies collaborating. So think of if you bring groups together, the exponential effect of that. So the impact in business is huge. The question is, how do you do it? And when I talk about collaboration with people, especially with teams or within um, leaders, one of the first questions I'll say to me is, 
I did, I've done that. When I was in my MBA program, they taught us to collaborate, right? And what that meant was I did the work, everybody else got the credit, and I'm done with that. And so that's the fear people have with collaboration is one or two people will have to carry the weight and everybody else will be able to slide through. The models that I've put together for companies to use um, will prevent that because you have a process of reviewing everybody's energy contribution to the activity. So it, you, can't, you can't drain the group. You can't drain the partnership of energy. If you do, you're not a collaborator. You're simply either helped to learn how to collaborate or collaboration isn't for you and you need to find other places to work. Interestingly, I have taken the predictive index, which is a wonderful diagnostic all about leadership style. And I was identified as a collaborator, which often is associated with maybe not being as much of a strong leader, not being perhaps um, identified as sort of this maverick, this captain, this strong, decisive leader. But in fact, I have found being a collaborator gives me a advantage because I never assume I'm right. I really do rely on the wisdom of those around me to help navigate and guide and direct a lot of the decision-making that happens. And so in fact, I find that that actually aids me in yeah. leadership to be able to be a collaborator and gather the incredible insights and wisdom and expertise of those around me to learn from. And through the act of, of conversation and debate and healthy um, sort of uh, discussion around solving a particular issue, what I find is that the group comes to a conclusion that's absolutely brilliant and much better than any one individual. And so I feel like being a collaborator actually positions you very well for leadership. Um, but, you know, it's very antithetical to what we see as a stereotypical strong leader being this strong captain and this very stoic sort of decision maker and this person who's incredibly independent and that type of thing. So how would you say leadership plays into this idea of collaboration? I think you're going to shift how you lead. It's a new kind of leadership. Instead of a top-down, a uh, I will instruct, I will tell you what to do, it is really much more I, I will lead, you will lead. We lead together. It's not I lead, you follow. We lead, lead together. It's a different kind of mentality. It's um, You have to have people that you have trained, that you have taught, that you have worked with, that know clearly what the expectations are so that you can really have that leader-leader relationship, right? So your investment in it is, is pretty huge up front, but down the road, it is unbelievable because they're always helping to solve things that you haven't even thought about before it becomes a problem. Love that, Lois. All right. Well, it is time for us to wrap up our conversation. And so I have one last question for you, and that's about leadership advice. You've had an unbelievable career. I mean, you have accomplished some of the most amazing, um, not only inspiring and thought-provoking and trailblazing, pioneering kinds of 
accomplishments and achievements that you can imagine. But I'm sure along the way, you also met with brilliant leaders, people who helped shape and form the trajectory of your career. So over the course of your career, what is a piece of leadership advice that you've received that really made an impact for you that you'd like to share with everyone else? Okay, so there's two. One came from Marshall Goldsmith. And one of the things that he teaches us as coaches is be pragmatic. Be pragmatic. We make things so complicated. And then, you know, you, you don't never implement because you get lost in the process. So simple, pragmatic, easy to use. That's what works. And then the other piece of advice I got from Jack Schneider many, many, many years ago, and uh, I was teaching with him at Texas Tech University in the School of Medicine, and uh, we were working on developing a regional health care plan or system for West Texas with uh, women's and children's health. And we had a number of issues that we were struggling with in terms of high of complicated pregnancies and our mortality rate with moms and infants. It was higher in some parts of that region at that time, four times higher than the rest of the nation. And we really need to get under control quickly. So the temptation is to go in and to kind of put your thumb on things and to fix it. That was in Jack's perspective. We went in and we spent time talking with people and it was respect them. They're doing the best they can do. They're doing their best. We're just going to help them see how to do it better. That's all. And it shifted me from judgment and shaming and blaming to I'm going to take the best of what you have and I'm going to help you make it better. So you can be proud of what you're doing. And what it did was it opened up opportunities instead of closing them down. And so I just, I have always been grateful to Jack for having taught me that. So beautiful, Lois. What a wonderful way to wrap up our conversation and to wrap up this episode of Leadership Global. Lois, I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much for sharing your insight, your expertise, your wisdom so generously with all of the Leadership Global audience today. I am so honored that you joined us today and that you provided so much thought-provoking, incredibly wise counsel. So thank you so much, Lois. You are so welcome. Thank you for inviting me to be here for this opportunity to talk with you. And Linda, thank you. I always enjoy being in your presence and you. Thank you for joining Leadership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Leadership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success. Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up, and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.